Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey guys, welcome to And The Writer Is. I'm your host, Ross Golan. I've written with hundreds of artists and writers over the years, and my favorite part of each session is the first hour when we catch up about life, the industry, politics, composition, whatever. So this is a journey of learning why people write songs, how people write songs, and most importantly, who the people are who write the songs. I'm producing this with The Great Joe London, Big Deal Music Publishing, and Mega House Music Management. If you want to listen to the songs we discuss in this podcast, follow us on our socials, find out about special live events, or buy that merch, a.k.a. that hat I always wear, go to our website, www.andthewriteris.com. For a little bit of context, we just wanted you to know that a lot of these were recorded before quarantine. And as we know, a lot has changed in 2020. So again, please stay safe out there and enjoy the new episodes of And The Writer Is. Welcome to And The Writer Is. I'm your host, Ross Golan. Today's game-changing music influencer is not only a producer, not only a DJ, not only a frontman, but is a Grammy Award, American Music Award, Billboard Music Award winning songwriter. Having already been anointed ASCAP Songwriter of the Year, this writer has evolved his sound to push the sonic envelope. He's defied all odds, a true phoenix. From the ashes of getting dropped to rising up to literally one of the biggest bands in the world. His diamond certified success has enabled one of the most unique trajectories of any artist at any time in recorded music history. And he's done most of it while being one of Forbes' 30 under 30. Not anymore. 
I'm from, 30. I'm, I'm 30. Still. You're 30 now. So it's 30, 30. Okay. I, from <laughs> Portland, Maine, this writer is notoriously loyal to his co writers and bandmate. So we're hoping to get a little closer to this guy during this interview. <laughs> and the writer is Drew Taggart of The Chainsmokers. Woo. Are, do you clap at this point? Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> our, our audience of one. Um, uh, yeah, so, uh, so you're 30. That's, that's, uh, it's that's a new a, thing. It's a new thing. Yeah, about a month into the 30s. How does it feel being 30? So good. Yeah. I was, I was like ready to be 30 at 29 for sure. Everyone's like, oh man, it's my last year, the twenties. What? Like I feel like I'm I'm like I'm like woke now. Yeah. You know? Well, there's a weird thing. If you're 29, 364 days old, people still think you're in your twenties. Yeah, right. And somehow the next day it's like, wow, you survived, wow. man. And you're it's, an adult. And I know it's probably a placebo effect, but like I, I, I do feel like more like <laughs> like assertive and and yeah. Probably more assertive is probably the best way to describe being 30. So you just woke up and you said, today I'm having this cereal regardless of <laughs> yeah. the sugar yeah. content. Um, let's start from the beginning, man. So um, Portland, Maine, your mm. family's from there, yeah? We're from Freeport, which is from like Freeport. 10 minutes north. How does somebody mm-hmm. uh, from Freeport, Maine get into music? Uh, I think the same way anyone from anywhere gets into it um you know my parents my mom bought me a drum set when i was five years old what parent does that like i can't think of anything more annoying to get your kid why did she want you to play drums well i wanted to play drums really bad why Uh, i just i loved music like forever well five years at that time was forever (laughs) for me and 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 she like manned up and, and got me the Got me a drum set, and she—I mean, even to this day, she's like, "I like listening to you play," which I don't believe you, but like, thanks, I love you. Um, and that was the beginning. And then I played drums, and then I eventually wanted to play guitar. Um, I never wanted to like sing until way, way, way later, um, but I wanted to play keys, and I wanted to know how to do all the things. Um, and then when I was like fifteen, a lot of kids in my school went like did like a study abroad thing, which is usually like a th- some of you do in college. Um, but it was like highly encouraged at, at my high school, and I went to a school of like 400 people in the entire school, and so I was like about ready to get out of Maine when I was 15, and so I went. I uh, I went to Argentina for like I think six months or eight months. At 16? At 15? At 15, yeah, yeah. So you just said, Mom. Well, I wanted to go. She was she was like very. My mom uh, studied abroad a ton. My mom speaks a bunch of languages. Uh, She's a language teacher. And um, what does she teach? Well, now she well now she's retired, but she was like a, a computer coordinator before that, and then she was a Spanish teacher and a German teacher for a little bit. Uh, what's the rest of your family dynamic like? My dad's a uh, or he made orthotics and prosthetics for a long time. Okay, um, and then he did it for the VA hospital, uh-huh. and then he went back to his old job, and now he he was most recently a roadie on my last tour. No way! Yeah, it was, his, it was his true dream come true. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. Um, do you have siblings? I have a younger sister. Is she a musician too? Uh, no, she's very creative. Are she's, you the only musician out of the family? Uh, yes, but like my mom and sister sing and my yeah. dad plays guitar and, and stuff. Yeah. And, but yeah. So you go to Argentina yeah. alone? 
Yes, by myself. And so, so my objectives with going to Argentina is I wanted to learn how to speak Spanish. I wanted to get out of Maine. That was probably the only one that I accomplished. Oh, I got Spanish too. And um, I wanted to be in a city. And I couldn't afford to go to Europe, um, especially at that time. Um, and so South America was like the obvious option. And Argentina is probably the most European of the South American countries. Um, and there was a part in the application where you could like suggest where you wanted to be like situated. And my 15 year old self overlooked that place. So I thought I was going to pull up to Buenos Aires and be in a a Spanish speaking city with all this culture and everything. I got placed in this town called El Bozón, which is in the middle of the Andes Mountains, like two hours outside of uh, Bariloche. So I basically like went to the main of Argentina. <laughs> I was like, damn, like God damn it. Like, Did you know when you sh- landed, were you like, wow, this city is much smaller than yeah. I envisioned? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I landed in Bariloche, which is a beautiful city, also in the middle of the Andes, great skiing. Um, and I was like, yo, that can rock with this. And I was like, the other city must be just like this. And I, I pull up to a town like even smaller than my, my hometown. I was like, oh no, what did I do? How long were you supposed to stay um, there? It, first of all, it turned out to be an amazing experience. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I stayed for like six or seven months. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. When you came back, you went back to Maine, obviously. Yeah. Right? Oh, wait, but something kind of pivotal happened there. What happened? Um, so at the time, when I was 15, so that was 2005. Um, when I when I went there, I had been listening to like a lot of like hip, basically everything. Like, probably like at that time, I was probably listening to a lot of like Death Cab for Cutie and Postal Service, but I was also listening to like, that was like the beginning of like Lil Wayne. So I was listening to that. Um, in Argentina? No, this is right before I left. Okay, yeah. Um, I was in this band Mew, which is still one of my favorite bands. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I remember I went there and I was still listening to that stuff. Um, but we started going to the clubs, which is something I didn't do in the U.S. And there we would listen to like Daft Punk and like the old Trent Muller and like the beginning of David Guetta. And that was when I really discovered dance music, which was like more sonically aggressive than anything I had ever really heard. And that was very impressive to me. And the first thing I did when I came back was like, how the fuck does Dead Mouse make those like chord sounds? How does... Trent Mahler make these like like his shit hit harder than anything I had ever heard, and that's when I discovered Ableton, which was kind of the thing that when I was a child playing the drums, then wanting to play guitar and wanting to play keys, I didn't know about producing, um, and that's when I that pushed me to discover that, which kind of led me to where I am today. When you come back, I mean that sounds like a crazy experience. I think it at was. any point in your life, if you any any person that we've ever met if you put them in that situation where you put them in a semi-random country in a semi-random town in it it would be life-changing yeah how did you not end up um did you bring in any of the cultural music that you know what i mean did you bring in any latin music was there any of that so the only like latin music that like me and my like argentinian friends like that was like even around was called cumbia Okay. And it was just not their vibe. It wasn't cool to them. Yeah. Um, it wasn't like how reggaeton is now. Um, it's still still the kind of the same vibe. Um, it doesn't have like the hard kick. Yeah. Or, uh, 
So you go all the way there to discover Daft Punk. Yeah, which is exactly, crazy. exactly. Um, yeah, when you in start, summary. when you start making music on Ableton, you know, at in two thousand and whatever that is, six, six or so. Probably, that's yeah. really early for Ableton. You it know, is. Most people are not using and, Ableton and yet. And thank God I chose Ableton because. I chose it because I wanted to DJ and I wanted to produce and I didn't have any money and that seemed like the cheapest program that could enable me to do both things. Um, and then I learned it and that enabled him, in my opinion, is now the best DAW. So Did you I'm have, sure people will like disagree with that, but I think it's amazing and it's, it's you can work with anything in, in that program. Did you have an, were you DJ something? No, that, I was never DJ anything. You never, you never. I made were. a bunch of songs, but it like just I didn't put anything out because I thought they sucked, which they probably did. Who did you play them for? I mean, at some my point mom. you have to have what? It, and she was like, I she don't thought really they were rad. Oh, really? Yeah, my mom's been probably my biggest fan. <laughs> so then, what? Why? Why did you think they were not good? And why well, didn't you not put them out? Loudness. Mm-hmm. I've been fighting with loudness my my whole goddamn life. What does that mean? Getting things to be loud and not like sound like have a shitty mix. And I couldn't figure it out. I could like get the sounds. So you and figured out how to make the those the, the sounds and stuff, but I couldn't get it to sound like loud and clear enough. What is it that makes people makes music sound louder? I don't know yet. You're still trying to figure <laughs> yeah. that out? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's really interesting. Why yeah. oh, we can get into that later, especially with like the um uh, with like how Spotify and Apple Music and all these and uh, all these different uh, streamers like have different what is it called volume compression rates and stuff compression or? rates and uh, norm, uh, audio normalization mm. where it's crazy like if you ch- there's a site that we use now that like the way that we mix the song and also master the song and limit the song determines how loud it will be on Spotify it's yeah. a whole thing we can get into later yeah. Yeah. Well, then we shall. Yeah. Um, so you're 16 and you have these songs. When do you start putting out music? Do people in your high school know you're making music? Are you, you know? Yeah, I was like the weird kid that just listened to techno at that yeah. point. Yeah. <laughs> the and weird going kid. into college, I was even weirder. They were not ready for, for that. Where'd you go to school again? Syracuse. So you go into Syracuse and you didn't find, did you find like minded people there? I did. Um, so the, the first, my first two friends at, Syracuse were Gabs Landman and uh, Harry Ro- Harry Roberts, who's my best friend and, and my lawyer. And Gabs is a great manager. And she's incredible. Yeah. Um, shout out to Gabs. Shout out to Gabs. Have you had Gabs on the thing? We haven't. Oh. And, but we've been talking about it because she has a client that we're also going Yeah. Yeah. Amy's, Amy, Amy's incredible. Also from Maine. What's with Maine? I don't know. I, well, it's, I think it's just us. I think if there was anyone else, we would know. But Syracuse wait, wait, is just, a... There's someone else. Anyway. Yeah, I yeah. feel like we've we I feel like I've said Maine before <laughs> yeah. and some one of our listeners will tell us. Yeah. Um so you're at Syracuse. That's a really good music program. Yeah, so well it was weird because I looked at Syracuse for I had no idea what I wanted to do. Um and I, I looked at Syracuse because it had a really good architecture program and that's what I thought I wanted oh, wow. to do. That's what my dad is. Oh really? Yeah. Is he a peaceful guy? Yeah, yeah. I feel like it's a pretty peaceful. Anyway, um, <laughs> I mean, if you're an, an architect and a songwriter, are really similar. Yeah, 
You know, like they totally they their yeah, job their job is yeah. to really just do you know produce you're you're you can do it one from the couch, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know if you now nowadays at least yeah. but the idea that you can you basically draw a blueprint and then somebody else performs it right you know hundred percent. Um, so there is some. I never thought about the parallels there, but yeah, yeah. So when you go to Syracuse for architecture, what makes you? I didn't go for architecture. I I went for music business actually. Oh, yeah. So I was looking. Was at it already it. the Bandier School at that point? It was the second year of the Bandier School, uh-huh. and my mo- my mom shout out to my mom again was like, "You really should go to school for music business." She's like, "You're really into business." architect you're good i was good at like my cad classes and my architecture classes but she's like i just don't feel like that's fully i think that's only like one part of your personality there's this music business program let's try and just try and imply and i was like they only let in like 25 kids or whatever and i was like there's no way i'm gonna get in and i didn't i got waitlisted um and i actually had like my deposit into hofstra to go be like a finance major and at the last minute, I got into Bandier, and I was like, okay, fuck it. I'm going to do this instead. Crazy. So you graduated with a music degree or whatever it is? A, a, I don't know what Did I Did you graduate? <laughs> yeah, I graduated. I graduated, yeah. yeah. What is the... That's You graduated in what then? 2008 or nine? Two th- no, 2012. 2012? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that would be... You graduate high school. Yeah, I got it. So you graduate from 2012. There's this period between there... And when we can first kind of see your discography beginning, what yeah. happens between 2012 and the beginning of Chainsmokers? Did you have any other projects before Chainsmokers? Yes. So I started um, putting out songs under the name Dunconia, which is one of the worst names I could have thought of. Why, why that? So I was obsessed with this book called Atlas Shrugged yeah. um, at the time. And. Uh, there's this very charismatic uh, character called Francisco Danconia. And I thought I was super clever making my artist name that, not really thinking about like that's really, it's like D apostrophe Anconia, um, which is a very uh, just difficult thing for people. How to, many people it got looks the like reference? A, it looks like a pizza restaurant. You know? <laughs> <laughs> when I Your at, logo is like, yeah. it's like a record, but it's also a pizza. It's yeah. like, <laughs> um, did you? Did anybody get the reference? Did There's you ever been have, like two people after the fact that have been like, "Yo, I'm reading Atlas Shrugged. I get where your name came from." Yeah, yeah. amazing. So yeah. you actually put out music then? Yeah, I put out a couple songs and like my friends like like vibe to them, and enough so where like it that. So this is the time that like EDM is like blowing up, and Avicii had just come out, and everyone was just getting on the EDM wave, and uh, Skrillex was out. Um, I was, I mean, Skrillex is all time top for me. Um, and, but like everyone was like more into like the more EDM, like the Swedish House Mafia was just starting, I guess. Avicii was crushing it. Um, everyone was like all about it. Where were you it. living? I was at Syracuse at this point. You were still at Syracuse? Yeah. So I was putting out songs. It's like, uh, this is the time like the industry was in America was like starting to pick up. Like, Every promoter wanted to throw an EDM show and whatever. So for me, it was like had a couple tracks online, and there's like probably like hundreds of other kids like in college that wanted to get involved that had a couple songs that were like doing a little bit. We were all trying to be openers on the show. So I start getting on these different shows and whatever. So I I get booked for like a couple like opening act things, nothing like serious. Um, 
Harry's managing me um, at the time. And I, uh, yeah, and then, like, I, I graduate school. Um, you know, I actually, oh, actually, I, I've been, I was interning at Interscope my senior what? year. I oh, interned right. for Neil Jacobson cool. and uh, Nick Groff. And shout out to Nick Groff for being just one of the nicest people of all time. And also just like giving me, I was his intern and he would just like lace me with all these like remix opportunities. And I ended up like remixing a song for LMFAO, which they ended up buying, which was like actually a very under like, Under Dunconia? I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm Crazy. almost positive. That was, yeah. Um, and... And Neil was like, you got to change that name. <laughs> and uh, he was right. And so I remixed the, the song and, and they bought it. And this was right at the end of my senior year. And that was like a big, like, I think they paid like $1,000 for it. But like the the validation that that gave me was like, okay, I'm not going to go and try and get a job this summer. I'm going to like just put my head down and grind out trying to become a better producer. Amazing. Which meant moving back to Maine. Which was very depressing. Why? Because you know, moving back into your parents' house after college is not never a vibe. You know, you <laughs> got to do what you got to do. But you know, I was like, I was, I was also I'm from Maine. I'm like, I'm back where I started. Like, I've yeah. done this whole adventure to Argentina, yeah, to Syracuse, right. to New York City, and uh, L.A., and now I'm back in Maine. Um, and I was like, if I don't have anything like popping by August, and I got like a couple like ghost producing things for projects that never really became anything but like was enough money to like keep me afloat and inspired and then in august this kid who was like booking me different those like opening gigs was like hey so there's this group in new york city called the chain smokers and one of the kids is leaving and the other kid wants to bring someone on to fill his spot you know he told me he's like i remember he told me that he was like they make like $100,000 a year. And I was like, are you, what? And he, I was, he's like, do you want to meet this kid? And in my head, I was like, oh, I don't really want to be in a duo or anything, but like also don't know shit, 22, 20, 21, 22. Um, and I was like, all right, I'll come down to New York and I'll, I'll, meet, I'll meet this guy. And so I remember I, I went down to, uh, and this is so crazy actually, because I went to this dinner and I met both kids that were in the Chainsmokers, Alex being one of them. Who is the other guy? This guy, Rhett Bixler. Um, Do you keep in touch with Rhett? I never really knew him. Uh. Um, and I didn't know which one uh, was the one that was leaving. Well, you, <laughs> so. I, I'm just always, like, it's so unusual to be like, uh, you know, people leave bands all the time. Yeah. They don't always leave bands that become really successful. Yeah. Well, know? I think at the time, yeah. And so, what like was, that guy somewhere. He is. Um, yeah. uh, and, you know, we met up and it, it was crazy because I met th- Alex and Rhett. I met um, this guy, John Schwartz, who is uh, part of Tau Group, who is homies with us to this day, who is one of Alex's buddies in college and up until this point. Um, they know each other forever and, and we've been friends for 10 years now. Adam, who's my manager to this day, who we've done everything with. Um, and like a, a bunch of other people that were, that I did still know to this day. So it was a very pivotal meeting. Um, and they just knew some of your tracks so they were like, they were kind of fans, but going, uh, no, you going in all. or were they I auditioning they were like, people? I think they were, they were auditioning people and basically just me and this other kid. And, uh, we met and like had a little bit of a night and 
I I figured out that Alex was the. I remember I remember meeting both of them, and I and I remember like feeling them both out. And I was like, God, I hope it's this one guy, which was Alex. Thank God, it turned out to be Alex. Um, Alex was like, Yo, come over to my apartment tomorrow morning. So I go to his like one bedroom in apartment. The city? Yeah, in Chelsea. Yeah. I walk over there from my friend's house, and he's like, Look, he's like, are, are we? He's like, Yo, I want it. He's like, I like your music. I like your vibe. Let's just like try and do this. He's like, basically. Chainsmokers up until this point have been, we don't have any music. Um, like we were just like DJing. Like if you were to go to Avenue on a Tuesday night, that's where the Chainsmokers would play and they'd throw these amazing parties and they had a cool little culture around it. And he's like, I'm a great DJ. You're, you're a great producer. Let's combine our skills and try and figure this out. And so I went home on the, on the, the Fenghua bus. You know about that? What's uh, the Chinatown? Yeah, the Chinatown bus, the $13 bus up to from Boston to, to New York. Sketchy as fuck. <laughs> Went home. I was like, yo, I'm going to like try and do this. My mom was like, go get him. Um, and I would take the bus down like like once every week. And I would stay for like three or four days. And I would just like go to Alex's apartment, crash with a friend. And we'd just sit in like a, at a desk in his one bedroom apartment and just like grind. Um, at that point, Adam was my manager too. Um, Adam ran 4AM, which was like a DJ booking agency. Um, and, and yeah, we would just grind and grind and would just try to figure out how to make something that people gave a shit about. What's the first song that you finished where you're like, this one is special? Uh, Roses. Oh, really? So it's that it old? It took a while. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, that's going to be part of the story later. So yeah. we'll... Um, when you're in the, what's the thing that gets you from, you guys are in that apartment, you're doing some shows. We're doing like. You're starting to probably make some money to at least live yeah, on. Yeah, which was exciting. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, like it almost for felt any like musician, stable income. Huge. Yeah, like, yeah. Like regardless of the songs that we were putting out because of like club culture, like that supported us. Yeah. Yeah, shout out to John Schwartz. Kept us employed. Insane. You know, they'd pay us like. 400 bucks to play here, 800 bucks to play here, like 600 to play there, which like you did a couple of them in a, a week and like you could like live not very well, but like on it, you know, that was great. New York was still expensive at that point. Does Republic meet you before or after Selfie comes out? After. So how did Selfie so, go from being... So there's this whole phase. So basically... <clears throat> um. This is, I'm giving you like the full story right now. You just don't have time to do all this. No, we have yeah. time. Um, we have time until you have to go. Yeah. Which is probably shortly. Cool. <laughs> um, so there's this whole part um, that I never get to tell that I think is really important that kind of explains Alex and I's uh, work dynamic and kind of how we still like operate today. Um, so I came in as like the producer kid and... Alex was Alex is he is one of the most I don't even know under know how to like describe his talent as like a, a just a, a networker like he stays in touch with everybody and he's so charming and he's so humble and like so this plays into like our music career you know, we were big fans, although like the EDM way was huge. We were like really into like Yonsei and uh, like Death Cab for Cutie and all this like these like Bon Iver and like all these like indie acts 
that were, and this was like 2008, which was like a real, or, or I guess, no, this was 2012. But we had just gone out of like 2008, 2009, 2010, where we had like the beginning of Kid Cudi, the beginning of Bon Iver, we had Fleet Foxes, we had TV on the radio, we had all these amazing like kind of genre, Passion Pit, the beginning of Mike Snow. Like these are people that really fucked me up, you know, like all these like genre clashing new artists that were amazing or not new. They had their probably the best albums like Arcade Fire, The Suburbs, The National. Uh, yeah. can't remember what album it came out. It was very impactful for me. Um, anyway. So we we loved all this music that wasn't present in EDM. EDM was becoming this like almost like European thing that was then like melding with like pop music. And we never really fucked with pop. We were more like indie, but like let's combine indie and and dance music. So what we did is like, and we always loved, we were really inspired by like Calvin Harris, how he had these songs that had like these incredible vocal parts that you could sing along to. Um, But then they went into this very euphoric dance vibe. And so we tried to do that with indie music. And the first song that we really hit it with was a song by Yonsi called Around Us. I think it was, I don't know if we called it Around Us or his song was called Around Us. Um, Or we just renamed it. Um, But we remixed that and it went number one on the site called Hype Machine. Um, And so uh, at the time, do you know Mike George? Who's Mike George? Mike George used to work for Scooter. Oh yeah. Also was in Bandier with us. And Mike George, and he managed Hoodie Allen. Hoodie Allen crushed on Hype Machine. So for those of you who don't know what Hype, everyone knows what Hype yeah. Machine is here. Um, and so... Um, if you don't know Hype Machine, look it up. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> so Mike told us that he would email all of these blogs and create relationships with them. And uh, that's how... He, I mean, Hoodie had great music, but that's really helped get Hoodie's stuff noticed. So Alex like took that to heart. I kid you not. So every week, basically, our routine was for the first year of Chainsmokers, especially after we got the the number one high machine, which was like a huge fucking deal to us. Um, which is a, actually it is pretty fucking awesome because it's like kind of like the what's popping. On That's the web. a big achievement. Yeah. yeah. So, and it's still reserved, generally speaking, for indie artists. Like it's really totally. hard. You know, it's not something that the blogs you have, that yeah. that are like I guess like troll like they comb from are like only indie bugs that don't post like pop music. Yeah. Um, so what Alex would do is he looked up every single blog that hype machine would comb and the ones that might, only the ones that might post like a EDM remix of an indie song. And there was like 500 of them. And every week, and, and he, so he, first of all, he would go out and he would look at every artist that was like cool, that we liked, that had a new song that was trending. And he would send them an email and be like, hey, we're like a no-name thing. We just did this like uh, remix that went number one on Hype Machine. We love your stuff. Can you send us stems? He'd send out hundreds of emails. We'd get back our response from like maybe 10 of them, um, and which was crazy because we ended up remixing... Uh, People like uh, Tavlo before she was like he, before mm. she was huge. Um, uh, like Two Door Cinema Club, uh, they were kind of had their moment already at that point. Uh, they're already popping. Um, but like a lot of like really cool. I wish you looked down the list. Like Aster. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm trying to think. Anna of the North. Um, and we reached out and we got all like these stems from these amazing indie artists. That also had songs that were already trending, and then I would like make this. We were like a factory. I would, and which was great because that's what we needed to be to like get to be better writers and producers. And 
I would sit there and just try to bang up a new concept for every one of these remixes. And that's kind of where all my production chops came from. Um, and he would sit there and get more stems for me and he would email every, and then once I had a remix, he would send a personal email, not a copy paste email, a personalized email to every person from every blog that might possibly post our music. And within three months, he had like a, he was homies with all of them. Um, we had over 20 number ones on hype machine. Um, and that was like, I feel like that's an important thing for people to hear. Cause it was like a fucking grind to even just get to that point. Yeah. And that got us out of New York DJing, you know, that was like, Oh, people are starting to know about it that know about that like music and are into the blog scene and here. And like, we started playing in clubs in San Francisco and Dallas and, um, and all these other places all over, like all over the country, nothing crazy, like a lot of colleges, a couple clubs here and there. Um, and we were kind of known for these cool EDM indie guys. Crazy. That leads us to Selfie. So Selfie becomes, you know, this is an era when they're, it's like a real viral sort of song. Right. You know, I mean, the, you can't you can't make those happen. Yeah. You well, know, you can try, but I mean, maybe there's there's a hustle behind it. But how does that really break in? So like just the, the timing was incredible. How Selfie it. came about is kind of a silly thing. Um, we so we got uh, this. We got booked to play Live Miami, which was like the dopest club we had ever played, and we were so excited about it. And we wanted to do well and, and impress like Grutman and and like all the other promoters there and like bring a crowd. We had never really been to Miami. We didn't know a ton of people down there, so. We had this idea that like, oh, the blogs are writing about, you know, our records. Maybe they'll write about this show, but let's make a song to promote that show. And at the time, but like, let's make it a funny song. And so Melbourne Bounce was like, like the the genre, um, which is, I guess, the best way to describe the, what Selfie sounds like. So we were like, let's make like a parody song and get all the blogs to write about it. And we'll like name it like the live at night to promote the, this is literally our, our 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 thought process, and the song "Eat Sleep Rave Repeat" was uh, uh, by Fatboy Slim. Um, was like a big song at the time, and it's this guy who's like sounds like he's like on Molly, just like ranting about some shit. And we're like, let's do that, but let's make it like a drunk girl at the cr- club ranting about some stuff. So we wrote all these lyrics that were just like ridiculous things, and we like called uh, actually we like texted like a few of our like our girlfriends from New York City um and this girl Alexis came over and just started like doing all these one liners and then I took them all and I chopped them up and I made it this ridiculous rant over this like really goofy Melbourne bounce track um so we threw it up on SoundCloud a week before the show um sent it out and we're like this is a joke to all the bloggers but like everyone posted it and it was like whatever for a couple of days. And then the views were like abnormally high. Um, and then we were like, what the fuck? What the fuck is this? And then we we're like, should we take this down and try to get it signed? And we we're like, but this isn't really like at all. We just built this whole like fan base of like indie EDM fans. This song is like, we made it as a joke to kind of like make fun of the whole scene. Do we want to be known for this? And our idea at the time was, 
Um, and, and embracing selfie. Um, so Zane Lowe said to us, like, he was like, I feel like, I feel like the, the problem with selfie was not the fact that you made it, but the fact that like the, the way you guys embraced it, which I still to this day do not know if it was a mistake or if it helped us. Yeah. Um, I have to say things worked out, so it must have helped us. Um, but everyone marks like selfie as the beginning of our career, but we got dropped after that, which everyone kind of overlooks. Well, that's part of, you know, right before we started, I was saying that the best stories are either the guys who who are prodigies and out of nowhere, they just, their first song's a hit, you know, and there the, some of those people exist, but... Ninety-five percent of the success stories are people who went in and hustled and hustled and hustled, finally got a deal, mm-hmm. and f- and got dropped. Like almost everybody, yeah. with this Bruno Mars and Katy Perry mm-hmm. and like you know the list, Charlie Puth and Jonas Brothers and One Republic. Like so many huge artists get dropped from their first deal, and I think everyone assumes that it's smooth sailing. Yeah. after you have a hit, and it's like no, that's not how that works. But you wrote songs like Roses and these other songs while you were signed at Republic, didn't you? Weren't, but even um, before they, like, bef- I know I you guys so. wanted them to come out, but that they hadn't. Yeah. They, they, these were songs that they were, were they setting you up with co writes or how did, because <sighs> internally whole, you guys are writing some incredible songs that yeah. the label just didn't understand. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, if you give someone, I mean, labels want more of what they signed you for. Which is fine. I mean, that's their business. Um, and, you know, yeah, so we get signed to, Re- this song goes viral. We get signed to Republic. We're like, holy shit, like we have a major, what the fuck just happened? And this is like a year and a half into maybe just under two years of me and Alex knowing each other. So we're like, what the fuck? We're just like, we're like, the song doesn't really represent it, but we're embracing it. We're embracing it because our idea was like, Let's get everyone to know us, and then we'll show them what we're really about. Um, and so our lawyer got us a really good deal. He got us an album deal um, because we wanted them to commit to developing us. And after the next two songs that were different, they were like, we don't want to do this anymore. Um, which you, is, you released those songs? No, we did the song Kanye, which we, th- oh, which right. we thought was like a, a way to bridge because it was like more of the sound that we wanted to do. But it still kind of had like a gimmicky type type of title because we we're trying to transition people yeah. over into what we were actually about. And then we put out this song called "Let You Go" with uh, Great Good Fine Okay, who are amazing. I love them. Um, and that's that's a that was a really good song. That was on par with like our actual sound. But once we put that out, Republic was like, "We're trying to be out." Um, and luckily, we were able to just separate ties and goes our separate ways, and it wasn't messy at all. Um, and in the same phone call that, you know, Adam told us that we were being dropped, um, he told us that he had started a JV with uh, Doug Morris at Sony and he had a solution of a way to like release our songs. Who introduces you to your co-writers during that, like during that times when you have, at least this is what I've been told, so correct me if I'm wrong, but... Um, that you had when you went over to you go through the JV, which ends up going through Columbia, mm. right? No, 
Yeah. So Adam started Disruptor, uh-huh. which was a JV with Sony. With Sony. And we had a bunch of songs. We had Roses. We had... Um, uh, don't Let Me Down was in that, wasn't it? I don't know no. if we had Don't Let Me Down before Roses, even though that was the next big notable song. We had Roses. Um, there was a... I can't remember what else we had. Once Ro- I think we had Don't Let Me Down once Roses like just started to come out. I, I really can't remember. But so Roses But come- that was all like the same like summer, I feel like. The same like summer fall air- time. Roses is is a, a a new level. How did that work under a JV? You know, so, how how did that blow up? So, um basically I had made this, so basically I made this remix for Anna in the North called her song Sway. Um, and I just like, when I made it, I was like, this sounds like, because before that I felt like we were just trying to imitate like Calvin Harris and a slew of other people, but put an indie touch on it. But when I made that remix, I was like, it was slower. I was like, I haven't done anything. I was like, this sounds like what our sound's going to be. And I'm I made the beat to roses and I just made the intro the do and the drums. Um and then uh I had the had those drums and I was tr- kind of trying to like stay on this vibe of the sway remix. And then uh we had uh so Liz, Roses the singer, one of her songs we had heard on Hype Machine, and Alex emailed her and was like, Do you want to do a, se- a session? And she was like, Cool. So she came up from Philly. And we sat in my like studio apartment in in uh, uh, New York City, and uh, she had written this verse. Take it slow, but it's not typical. To some other, to another beat that I had sent her that's completely different. And I was like, "Yo, that was cool, but like this beat that I just made, I think is really fire." And let me take your songs, and I just re. I re-sang her melody and we like worked on it together and got her and just changed the whole melody of those lyrics um, to fit that beat. Um, and then there was this group love song that I had been listening to that I was super inspired by. And um, I wanted the the hook to have this like girl and guy part. Um, and I was like, I wanted to say like these kind of like vibey situations that like represented like being in love with someone. And uh, that was the first time I'd ever really written lyrics. And we just kind of freeze out deep in my bones. I can feel you. Take a, take me back to a time when the weed know. Um, we could waste a night with an old film. Smoke a little weed on the couch in the back room. Like that was the first time I'd ever written lyrics. Um, or put my la- voice for even backing vocals on a song. Um, and we made that. And in the same session, we made the, the drop to that. Um, and we ended up basically writing and producing that entire song in like eight hours and that was like i was like this song is is hot didn't after that i mean you <clears throat> now co-write pretty much exclusively with other people yeah you know outside of yeah. the chain smokers yeah um I guess you know success. Sort of you know, when you see that, you're like, "Oh, this is really interesting." It's, at the same time, you define your sound as a producer, but it also makes you open minded to what outside voices can do to your sound. Totally, it's nuts. Um, shout out to Roses. Shout She's out to cool. Roses. Um, it when that when that comes out on Disruptor. 
Does did you at that point have these follow up songs ready to go? Um, I, I I've always had a couple. Like I'm, I, I don't know if I had "Don't Let Me Down," but I had a couple others. How did you guys get to Dea? Um. Well, don't let it. Oh, we had uh, we had until you were gone. I was trying to think about Emily. Um. I think we put until you were gone out right after that. Yeah. Um. Sorry, it gets all hazy. No, that's fine. Because the rose, the, we promoted roses for like a year. Alex and I like flew around the country and went to like every radio station and like begged them to play it. And then when did you meet time, Emily and Scott? So we did the song. She sent me the song until you were gone that we produced with this group Tritonal um, and put that out. And then, um, uh, and then we decided to do a session, and that's when we actually like met in person. Um, Don't Let Me Down becomes, you know, it's one thing when you have a hit. It's yeah. another thing when you have a follow-up. Yeah. You know, it starts to solidify somebody. One of the things that a lot of labels will do is even if they have a smash of a song, mm-hmm. they don't want to release it unless they have a follow-up because yeah. if they don't, that's how one hit wonders happen. Right. I mean, it's smart. You know, <clears throat> and you then end up going on a run, you know, like a proper run. Don't let me down. Going into closer, closer. <clears throat> you know, these are huge songs. Mm. Did you? What was it like in the process of becoming? You know, two years into a friendship, becoming kind of well, a household name. This is that was like from inception to like closer was probably four years. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it was it was amazing, but also like really scary and weird because, like, we were and I still feel I feel like most artists feel like they're always figuring themselves out better, um, but like we were really figuring ourselves out. Like, we found out our song, our sound with roses, and it was a hit. You know what I mean? And then I made "Don't Let Me Down," which sounded different, like the the beat to it, because I started dating this girl who was really into trap music, <clears throat> and we didn't make trap music. And I wanted to impress her. And she really like loved this band, Yellow Claw, who are awesome. Shout out to Yellow Claw. Um, and I was like, I can, I, can make it, I can make a trap record. And so I made this beat, the Don't Let Me Down beat. And then Emily and Scott came over. And that's when I met Emily and Scott. And we sat in my apartment, the same one that we did Roses in. And I remember Emily just sitting at the coffee table being like, I need you, I need you, I need you right now. And she wrote it about when she lost all her friends at Coachella. <laughs> Has she told you that story? No, that's great um, though. Yeah. Um, well, <laughs> in, in this next segment, what would Emily Warren ask Drew? She has a few of them for you. <laughs> okay. Her first question is, speaking of this writing moment, she says, when you're writing a song, how much are you thinking about you versus how much are you thinking about them? Um, it, that's, that's changed over time. Uh-huh. Uh, and Emily, a part of her genius is if you let her, which some artists do let her and some don't from what she's told me, uh, if you let her, she will help you tell the truth about your own situation because most of us have a hard time doing it. Um, what she is incredible at doing and what she's really, how she's helped me develop as a songwriter is... You know, I went through the call, I was like, I didn't write lyrics really in, in the beginning. And which also makes you feel like I don't have anything valuable to say. Um, 
And she, um, we call it a traditional yeep, which is, uh, <laughs> we always start everything with a traditional yeep, which is we sit down and we talk for as long as we need to until we like touch on something that's a vibe. And she'll sit and notate and basically be a therapist and get you to just talk more about things that are interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and she'll bring the you into any song. If if you if you let her, I know she does sessions with people that just want to write things that people will like, um, and I think we've definitely tried to do that tons of times, um, and that's a weird thing to battle. But um, she's if you let her, she can really pull it out of you. She did have a few other questions, so she said I could pick my favorites, but I'm just gonna ask you all of them because okay. they're actually really good. Yeah. If you could give Drew uh, as a little kid one piece of advice, what would it be? Oh man. Uh. <laughs> probably be cool to like other people just always make sure you're being cool were you not and I don't mean like cool and the expensive like well man that guy's the man or that guy's like right the the flex yeah but like just be like like listen to people she asked which lyric they've written are you most proud of oh man um, I love, oh, there's so, there, oh, I don't know. There's so many I like for different reasons, but probably like Closer. That's also one of the first songs I ever wrote and the first song I ever sang on. So that's like obviously holds like a place in my heart. Um, but all those lines were probably like all the lines of Closer because all the lines of Closer are from my experience at Syracuse going to school with a bunch of like rich kids that had all these things that were like mind boggling to me driving around in their parents Range Rovers and stuff and all this like apathetic like love and fake relationships and stuff like I bottled up and put all into that song I mean I don't know if you know this about Closer because it was you but you know there are a few phrases and, and, and trends that happen where everyone tries to copy them you know there's this you know, when, when people use the word shorty or swag or whatever, along the way, there's always something, you know, trap drums right now and the whole like mumble to your diary. Like there's always something that <laughs> happens, your you know, it's like there's always something that's a trend that everyone wants to do, you yeah. know. But the thing that Closer did, every one of the writers who I know that's younger all tried to put in a, a small, medium-sized city. Like, I don't know how much you realize how many writers in the community emulated what you did as a writer in that song. Do you, did you realize? Because I don't know if people send you every song the way oh, they were sending everyone yeah. else. Well, also people send me songs that sound like other versions of a song that we would write because they want us to, to do it. Yeah. So we've, we've heard a bunch. Um, the biggest one for me is talking about drinking. The first, the second line is, I drink too much and that's an issue. Yeah. I got every song was about like drinking too much and not being sober. If I were sober in a fucking song another time, I'm going to die. I can't do it. Were you, you I don't know if that's us totally, but wow. um, Gotten a lot of those. Do you find it offensive or is it exciting that people emulate sort of. I don't feel any type of way. 
Have you, because of the success of those songs, were you starting to hear songs on the radio and hearing songs from other artists where you're like, that's just a rip of what we do? Uh, or do you not really feel competitive? Um, I like think that? because well, there there are a bunch of people that in our genre, like like the whole what Skrillex did with uh, uh, the Bieber project and with Jack yeah. U, and Jack U was a little trappier, but what, what Skrillex did with the Bieber project, what Flume was doing at the time, yeah. what Kygo was doing, uh, and what we were doing, I can't probably like. I'd say the four of us kind of like slowed things. Oh, DJ Snake. We all like slowed things down and like put him- hip-hop influence into dance music and then everyone went there. Yeah. You know, and it kind of like changed the genre. Um, I don't think we could take credit for that, but like I, I we think were part of the move, I guess. It was right around then that, because uh, we've done one session before, mm-hmm. um, and I remember you saying that you wanted, that you were a huge fan of Blink-182. Mm-hmm. And that you you wanted to make music that was more, you know, in a not I don't know band band esque or yeah. whatever. But you wanted to write song songs like it's the goal is to do that, not to do quote like DJ songs. Yeah, well, and, I feel like every there, everyone has more song songs now. But at the time, it was very like generic, euphoric sounding like top lines about really not much that kind of ruled the EDM world. There were a couple outliers that were amazing, but I wanted to infuse like the more like indie or well, I mean something just phase. like this is like it has that euphoric feel to it. But I guess it's it also does, but with that's Chris, also Chris Martin. Martin's on that <laughs> yeah. song. So, yeah. I I have this Whoa, impression. A, I don't know if this is how that song was written, but I I hope it was written where he was. It's a good in story. The, you want that, me to tell it? Yeah, because I I want to think. Do you, that, what do you think happened? I just think that you were playing a track and he had his headphones on and was like, I don't know. Something just like this, and you were like, and you were like, you know, like you're like, I want to hit this. He's like, I don't know, something just like this, and he mumbled it or something. You're like, it's it's actually incredible. Yeah. Uh, so after like closer, uh, was kind of doing its thing. Um, this is so funny because I've told like a like fake version of this story on stage every night before we play something just like this, and it makes my manager cringe so hard. Um, so I'm gonna tell it here. Um, but so basically we like get this call. Um, it's so funny. I'm telling this. I told this like a million times. Um, we get this call basically like, uh, our manager and met Coldplay's manager and he was like, I'm going to try to get you guys in the studio with Coldplay. And we're like, sure, dude. And literally he was like, yo, tomorrow, like Chris is going to be in, in town and wants to like meet. We're like, okay. And he's like, you're going to the studio in Malibu. And we go to this beautiful, stu- the, you know, the woodshed in, yeah. in Malibu. So we go to the woodshed, and first of all, we're like floored at that studio. Yeah. I mean, you've been there; it's absolutely yeah. beautiful. Um, we're already intimidated, you know. Um, uh, and we're there for like an hour meeting with uh, Chris's guys. We're all super sweet, and I remember Chris walks in, uh, just solo dolo, and. You know, Chris just has like a, a presence, you know, and he's he's a powerful human being. And he comes through and we're just like sitting there just like trying to like let him like, well, you don't want to like say you don't want to say too much around someone like that. You just want to listen. So and we didn't make I honestly like that much small talk. We just like kind of like got into writing and I was like pulling up like beats that I had and we eventually like landed on one and. 
he was like this these he's like this is dope let's go and so we started writing stuff and um he put on his headphones and he was like just let me sit with this for a while and he was like writing a bunch of lyrics on his phone um and then he's like hey guys i'm like kind of burnt burnt out on, on this idea or whatever like i'm gonna how about you guys work on it a little bit more he's like i gotta go pick up my kids from school and then i'll, I'll come back and we'll work on it and i'm like we're like okay like cool we and we got something down and we're like you know that's cool um and then so he dips we like sit there we tinker with it we're like not really sure what to add um we eat dinner he comes back like three hours later and sits down to eat with us and like we're just like yeeping it up and he's like uh i, th- I think he was like i was like all right well like it, anyway we basically you know come to the agreements like it's like the vibe the vibe's over like everything it's all it is is what it is we're like okay so okay it's okay cool well, like we got like a one thing tracked with him it was very unfinished um and then we call this uber um and chris is like can you play me some stuff off the chain smokers album and i played him paris i played him uh uh my type i think and i played him the one and you could see he was like ah like 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 it was his vibe and he was like he's like you do you have anything else that's like not done and i hail married this like one session opened it up and he was like this is it like let's go on this right now canceled the uber it was just like piano chords with all these like euphoric pads over it which is something just like this versus um and he plugged in a mic put on the headphones and just or i don't know if he had headphones like just danced around like the middle of the 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 woodshed and like mumbled all this like got a couple lines and then sat down and like worked a little bit then mumble again and i'm sitting there like adding layers trying not to like keep it keep everything exciting for him you know what i mean and he's like okay i'm ready plug it like goes in and he just sings the entire first verse through the hook and i'm like that's what you were mumbling like holy shit that's one of the best records i've ever like like that's one of my favorite coldplay records i've ever heard you know what i mean like that like such a magical just structure and topic and i was blown away uh and i remember getting in like the uber after that and we just closed the door and me and alex looked at each other we were like let's fucking go like what the fuck just happened it was like purely magical and it was so funny because chris like in the beginning of the session was like i don't know where songs come from they're just sent down and me being like okay you usually just gotta grind them out and then i i just visibly watched a song be sent down out of nowhere and i was like this guy is a god yeah yeah did you guys try to replicate that session did you guys ever try to do more sessions with him or is it sort of once we haven't since then it's so crazy yeah yeah (laughs) um there not every there's times where people think they have a hit but they don't really have a hit yeah that time you were like oh let's go and you actually well, like our that song sounded very like the chain smoker sound that was really popular at the time and chris martin was on it. i was like this is gonna go yeah why do you um you know now that you've proven that you have a voice that sells you know with your own voice why do you still feature a lot of other artists um I like adding other voices to our productions and I like that it makes every song different, you know, and like it adds like flavor and it's kind of like it's a fun thing to do. Um, I will say that being said, um, 
this next album is going to be very minimal. Yeah. You, it, part of the weird part of being a DJ versus a songwriter is that it's very public how much money DJs make, at least on certain deals and stuff like that. I mean, they literally have lists of who are the highest play, paid DJs. They don't really do that for songwriters. It, isn't that super you put that invasive? Out there, they probably will. Yeah. Oh yeah. no. Take that back. Take that. No, but is isn't that really invasive? Does that does that have I, not to put? Does that bother you that people talk or does, about how much money you guys make or is that? Um. I mean, now, uh, I would prefer not to. Yeah. I would prefer that they don't. But uh, I guess it's better to make the money and have them talk about it than to not make the money. Yeah, of, cor- of course, of course. <laughs> you know, yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, it is it is invasive. So the the deal with Vegas we were talking about. I mean, you literally play there every single week. We do, and um, I guess there's almost no reason for you to stop doing that. At this it's point. really fun. If it wasn't fun, we'd probably want to stop. I have done. We had a residency at Hakkasan for two years, probably did, or three years, probably did 100 shows there. And for the, I've been at The Win at Excess, which is my favorite place. It's the best place in Vegas, hands down. Um, and we've been there for three, this is, we're starting our fourth year. I've done 162 shows there. Wow. Yeah, my poor liver. How, <laughs> do you drink every time you do a show? Yeah, it's hard not to. Really? Yeah. I mean, once a week, I guess is. Yeah, once a week, <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> um, that's that's crazy. So, I guess the one of the last questions I wanted to ask was, you know, the chain smokers become so big, so fast, but not it's not a one hit wonder. It's like a five six hit seven hit wonder and you keep adding to this brand anybody who's had success it's like always feels like this wonder like how is this happening you know where do you see the brand of chain smokers how do you feel about you know where you are now and i know you said the next album's minimal but what how do you view it it's minimal in terms of features in in terms of features, but not production or or lyrics or anything. It's, it's just fully me right now, at least. But it's gonna be. I, I want to add key people that I'm really big fans of, and I'm trying to add people that are not typical that you wouldn't think of. Is the goal for you to match? Do you do you feel the desire, the need to match any success that you've had prior? Hell no hell no I mean that would be awesome but like I've totally accepted that you can't control that and like we were talking about earlier we just went to Hawaii with Ian Kirkpatrick and Emily um, and we the stuff we made I've never believed in more it's like we've also like came, like I was saying came, came back with 15 songs I've never had that much like music before yeah. so Chainsmokers 4 is gonna be the most cohesive real uh look into like us and it's been really i I haven't really been inspired by a lot of uh music recently um there's some really great music but like i haven't been really i haven't really seen like how i could take the things that are are uh 
innovative right now and work them into our own sound. And that is what Ian and, and Wheaton also came with us for the nice. second week. Incredible. Um, we just created this new sound that's like sounds like the future of Chainsmokers. That's cool. Like it, it respects the roots of what we do, but it's very pro- progressive. The things that we're talking about are very introspect- or introspective and like give you a look. And, you know, I really admire people like um, Drank and Drank. <laughs> Drank. Drank. Um, I was thinking of Frank Ocean and Drake at the same time, and it came out as Drank. (laughs) (laughs) Frank Ocean and Drake. Says the guy who drinks once a week. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And uh, I think think Halsey did a really good job of it on on this new album. Just people that have been like kind of scissors great at it. It gives you a really good like slice of their life. Yeah. um, In a way that like you, that relates to your life. and, And that's something I really admire that we could do better that I'm, I'm hoping to accomplish here. Yeah. All right, so this final segment, I'm going to list five things, five names. You can just tell me the first thing that comes off the top of your head. Okay. Let's go, let's go with, you know, the, the homies. Let's start with Harry, you know, your attorney. Brilliant. Adam, your label exec slash um, everything else. Uh, Adam's the hardest working person I've ever met. Alex, your bandmate. Um, wait, I, did I just give Alec, Adam the hardest working one? Yeah, but you can, I guess, you know. Um, Alex is Evolution. the Alex is the wave. Yeah, yeah. Like everyone fucks with Alex. He's the coolest kid I know. Um, let's go with Ian Kirkpatrick. He's a genius. He's a nutty professor. Uh, and finally, we have to go with Emily Warren. Um. She, Emily is the Emily's the biggest vibe person I've ever met. Uh, she's she's oh, I gave the wave to Alex. Dang, you can give it twice. Yeah, I'm not. She, I'm not. She's gonna punish just like you for... she brings the best. She gives. She she'll bring the best out of anybody. Yeah. Like she's so fun. She listens so well. Um, she's super thoughtful. Um, and she's also like the most fun, fun, I have more fun with her than most people I've ever met. Let's, let's throw in a sex one. Let's go your mom. I mean, my mom is the most, like, my mom is so thoughtful and caring and, um, both of my parents just really, it's more important for them to, to them to be a good person to the, their community and the people in their lives than anything else. Um, and they're also very intuitive, and they don't. Vi- they immediately don't. If you if you're not on a on a, they don't vibe with you if you're not genuine and on, they have a very good radar for that stuff. If you're making a, a choice that's not uh, intrinsic to who you are. Yeah. Well, thank you for doing this podcast. How long have I been here? Six hours. <laughs> it's only. Um, <laughs> No, I mean, look, we we have we are fortunate to talk to a lot of people, and obviously, a lot of people that you've worked with in the past, totally. Scott, Ian, you know, obviously Emily, and um, part of what makes a band sound uh, cohesive is when they write with the same people or have the same producer. You know, you guys are evolving because. You're evolving with a lot of the same people that you came up with, mm-hmm. you know. Otherwise, you're gonna, you know, you, you end up with 
really drastic differences when you have new writers per album or new writers per song. Mm-hmm. And even when you have different features, because a lot of your writers are the same because you're producing all of them, they still sound like you guys. Yeah. So, you know, to be to be an artist where there's cohesion and evolution at the same time is really difficult. And I, I think it's really impressive that you guys are aware that you're pushing your own envelope and you're not complacent and trying to just repeat the sounds that worked for you instead of what is the new sound what is the new sound and that's going to keep you very successful so thank you it's it's an internal struggle to be honest we just always want to do something you want to say better but that's not really the right word it's more like you want to do something that's more like true to who you are and when you're always changing that it's very difficult yeah yeah well, but thank you for having me. Yeah. Thank you for letting me tell all like the beginning story because I feel like people d- don't hear that often, and it's so important for like I hopefully like the people that are aspiring to do something like this um, hear how big of a grind it actually was, um, and the grind probably looks completely different today. But you just have to be all in. There's no like golden ticket. Yeah, I think it's easy to look at people's. Discography, I always say it's like the stuff in between the hits is way more interesting than how the hits were written. Mm-hmm. The hits were written one day, and then you tour and you 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 know you push you push. Sometimes they all have their own journeys. They're all interesting stories. There are millions of podcasts, not millions, thousands of podcasts that deal with with how the hits were written and how they came out. But I mean, you know. You're friends with all the same people that yeah. we're all friends with each other. Yeah. It's a small, it's a small industry yep. of people, and you. There's a reason why you're here. You know, it's because you hustle. So, all right, man. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. All right. See you, everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode of And the Writer Is. If you want to hear music from this songwriter I just interviewed. Be sure to check out our Spotify playlist or visit our website at andthewriteris.com. If you like what we're doing, please subscribe to us. You can also like us on Facebook and Twitter. And the Writer Is is produced by Joe London, edited by Miles Bergsma, and published by Big Deal Music. A special thanks to David Silberstein from Mega House Music and Michael White. Until next time, this is Ross Golan. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 